Hey, chiropractors, welcome to Modern Chiropractic Mastery with your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing, business, and professional growth with some of the leading experts in the industry. Hey, docs, welcome to a little bonus episode. This is the first of our MPI, MCM mini-series in January of 2023. There'll be four episodes on being world-class at treating athletes, and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be treating professional athletes. It could be being world-class in your town, working with junior athletes or high school, college, or even professional. And so we dive into uh, four main topics, and today we're talking with Dr. Mark King of MPI on multimodal approach to treating athletes, and we dive into some various topics as well. But uh, these 30 to 40-minute episodes will be coming out on Mondays in addition to our regular Thursday episodes, so a little bit extra for you this this month. And if it goes well, uh, which I suspect it well, we might do a few of these each year with different clinical aspects and other clinical entities to provide you uh, with some even more content to sharpen the saw uh, clinically. And so we, we dive into a very important topic today and a few various ones that I really like um, with, with Dr. King, and it was great. Uh, we are uh, excited to uh, have the, uh, the MPI Sports Symposium come back. It's something that's uh, been on the shelf for a few years for cancellations due to, to COVID, unfortunately, but we're excited to have it back. And this year it's going to be in uh, Kansas City, which will be great. It'll be in over in Park, Kansas, uh, to be exact. And it's going to be everything on the spine. And this is March 25th and 26th. I'll actually be there myself as well. I'm going to be speaking with the reps and past reps on Friday, but I'll be hanging out for the weekend. And this um, this sports summit's going to be on the lumbar spine. And it'll have Mark King, Corey Campbell, Jason Ulm, Brett Winchester, Rich Ulm, David Seaman, and so it's a, a great lineup to talk all things um, sports injuries related to the spine. Every year they alternate uh, the region. Um, but, yeah, I'll be there. I'm excited to do that. You can check that out at motionpalpation.org and just check out their seminars tab and sign up for that. It's a great one. I was there at the last live one, which used to be in Chicago, and just a ton of information. And so if you're looking to improve clinically, and especially in sports injuries, um, I'm hoping these four episodes help you, and I'm also highly recommending the Sports Summit. So check that out at motionpalpation.org. All right, here's my interview with Dr. Mark King of MPI. All right, I got Mark King here on the episode. This is the uh, first of our little MPI, MCM mini-series, and we're going to dive into clinical with the theme of being world-class at treating athletes and uh, like I've kind of promoted a little bit on previous podcasts for this is, you know, being world-class at, at treating athletes doesn't mean you have to be at the pro level and, tr- you know, being on the, on a pro team, uh, sometimes treating junior athletes is harder than treating pro athletes, but it's being world-class in your community for the athletes that you are training at, of all levels. And, and today we're going to talk about the multimodal approach of treating athletes. And so welcome to the show, Doc. How are you? Uh, doing fantastic. Really happy to be here. Yeah. So this is uh, something that we wanted to to dive into and the, you know, kind of 
let's lay the groundwork a little bit for our audience here. When you say, I know most of them will know, but I never want to assume when you say the multimodal approach to, to treating athletes, obviously you would have a multimodal approach to treating anybody, but as it relates to what we're talking about, what does that mean exactly? Well, at MPI, we obviously are, have a focus on our palpate and adjust skills, but we are fully aware that uh, that is your only tool um, is not enough, especially with the, with the high level athletes can be, you know, so we're, part of what we do is we want to get really good at palpate and adjust. And then we want to be able to integrate these other uh, tools in with uh, the, our treatment protocol. So the multimodal approach really just speaks to this ability to integrate these other treatment uh, modalities in with your palpate and adjust uh, foundation. Uh, when you're treating athletes, if you're good at palpating and adjusting, that goes a long way. Um, whether whatever level, like you mentioned, it can be anything, uh, you know, for me, athletes can be pros to Olympics to high school. It can be the weekend athlete. I treat a lot of amateur athletes, weekend warriors, we, uh, you know, as per typical in a chiropractic office. So, uh, you know, it can treat a wide range of them, but uh, they, they are going to typically need uh, more than just uh, an adjustment, <clears throat> an adjustment. Yeah. And I want to touch on that a little bit because people will find themselves in unique scenarios where they'll be treating athletes in private practice. And I, you know, obviously the, the multimodal approach is going to be very necessary in that scenario. And then there might be the great opportunity you have with the high school team uh, or the college team or the pro team where they could be bringing you in for just one thing, right? That, that could happen. Uh, so you, you got to understand what modalities, what you are bringing to the table and get very clear on that ahead of time. Cause it could be where you're brought in to do, you know, we know a lot of active release technique providers, and I know you've done some collaborations with ART and obviously uh, there's a fair amount of NFL teams that would bring on an ART provider. Sure. And that particular doctor might be doing soft tissue and manipulation so they're they're using two things out of their tool bag in that scenario, whereas in their private practice, they're doing rehab, they're doing dry needling, maybe they're doing all these right. different things. And so you got to get clear on that for sure. Uh, and so sometimes you're not going to be able to apply all your tools in, in the certain settings, but in private practice, it's obviously going to be very important. Yeah. So if you're working for like, like if you're working for a professional team, for example, they may have a track that they want you very specifically to uh, to stay in, like you're mentioning. And, and sometimes like the, the some of the guys say they want the chiropractor to come in and do palpate and adjust and nothing else. And if you want to work with that team, that's what they want. That's their, what they think they need. And you may say, well, I know more about whatever rehab or I'm better at ART than anybody that, that's else on their uh, healthcare team at, on such and such a uh, sports team. So what that they, if they don't, if that's not what they ask you to do, do what they ask you to do. And then maybe you can expand that as you go along. As you mentioned, Kevin, in your private practice, you can use the tools you find most effective, but understand, uh, you mentioned ART, lots of, uh, professional athletes benefit by getting ART or, or other soft tissue techniques, but ART is the most popular one. And the, um, the really good ART guys and gals, um, some teams, that's all they want out of those practitioners. Mm -hmm. Some of them are doing palpate and adjust with ART. It, it varies. Every team seems to be a little different because I talk to these different guys around uh, the country that work with these different college and uh, pro teams. And they, um, 
yeah, each team seems a little bit different. So, you know, like I say, if you want to be part of that team, you have to uh, work within the parameters that they lay down uh, until you're the one in charge. And then, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then if they want you to do these other things, you need those other uh, tools uh, to be more comprehensive in your treatment approach to athletes. Yeah. And I think the, what's cool about the, the multimodal approach as well, you know, and we're going to touch on it in private practice, but then it gives you opportunities. Like I know for me professionally, I was brought in to work a uh, WrestleMania one year yeah. and it was strictly to do ART. And that was mm-hmm. all I was allowed to do. That's all they wanted me to do. I wasn't allowed to do manipulation. Uh, and so that was what I was brought on. Uh, I've been on situations where it's purely <laughs> palpation and manipulation. And that's great. Uh, I've been on situations where I ran the entire SFMA FMS for an NFL combine training program down here. And that was a big part of it. And that was in our wheelhouse. So it it also having the unique skill sets and and all those different skill sets could lend you you to, to, to certain opportunities that you wouldn't have gotten before. You just have to do a good audit of what they're expecting and make sure you apply that. Yeah, and, and and if you just think about being part of their healthcare team and 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 wanting to be part of that to help the athletes, you have to find that, uh, you know, you have to find that ground common ground. Like what I'm trying to say is like maybe you say, well, I'm perfectly happy doing palpate and adjust, and some of you are going to say, well, that's just not enough. If that's all they want me to do, then I don't want to be part of it. Okay, well that's fair. Then do don't then don't. Um, you just have to, like I say, it's not normally for the pro teams and the college team. It's normally an athletic trainer who's in charge of dictating where people go, and what they do. And so you may not agree with them. So that you have to decide if that's a deal breaker for you or not. So like you said, at that WrestleMania, they only wanted you to do ART. Well, then I would, if I was in that situation, I'd do ART and, and roll. And then um, the next time they may say, hey, can you, you, can you do these other things? So, yeah, that's a trick. It can be a tricky, sticky situation. Uh, you just have to decide if it's okay for you the what, what based on what they're asking you to do. Yeah, and it can be frustrating because you got this, you know, you know you could do these things in your private practice and you can't there. But let's bring it back into our private practice. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time today um, okay. on this episode. And, um, you know, you mentioned different populations, you know, junior athletes, pro athletes, this, there's also the aging athlete, right? Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm down in Boca Raton, Florida, and we got a lot of 75 year olds playing pickleball, tennis, golf sure. every day of the week. And we deal with a lot of uh, active aging population and in sports injuries, which is cool. Um, but do you ha- uh, put you on the spot here a little bit? You know, you got potentially the 18 year old coming in the 12 year old, the 70 year old, the weekend warrior, does anything change in your approach of, of those different uh, populations of, of athletes, as far as how you're evaluating them or some of the input you're taking in or some of your treatment methods? Uh, what would you say to that based on the actual different types of populations? So a lot of times you end up being the primary care provider, the, the, the is what a, a role I am often in. So I may be in with a, uh, you know, 15 year old high school gymnast or high school uh, basketball player, whatever. And, uh, you know, they come in with back pain, let's say. Well, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm always a little worried about a, a lumbar stress fracture with a, with a, with a spondylo. 
you know, so I always have to be the one kind of trying to figure that out if they're not responding to conservative care. The elderly, I may be dealing with somebody that's trying to figure out, hey, I, you know, I like to run or I like to play pickleball or whatever, but my hip or my knee for my shoulder, or whatever, is, you know, a, a train wreck. And what do I do about, am I ultimately going to be able to, am I ultimately going to have to have a replacement, a joint replacement, I'm trying to say. So I end up being a, a traffic cop a little bit on some of these people because I don't do the joint replacement, obviously, but I know who I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. I know who the good ones are in Cincinnati, Ohio, and who I would send my family to or I, who would I would have do it on me. So the elderly, I might have to play traffic cop and get them to a, a surgeon, or I might be able to do the treatment myself and keep them going. The 12 year old or 20 year old, I may need to, uh, I may be able to handle everything, or I may need to uh, get uh, further diagnostic testing, x ray, MRI, whatever, uh, CT, whatever, whatever the case may be. So it's a combination of being a, a manual care provider and being a traffic cop, uh, uh, essentially a primary care physician from the uh, musculoskeletal standpoint. And that's one thing I wanted to, that's a great point because. I've gotten to know you and your practice over the years. And I would say one of the things that I know you do, and I know your practice in general, I don't know all the, all the doctors, but I know in general, you have a very good network of physicians and other, um, you know, healthcare providers that you refer out to. And it's like, you've developed a, a really good network around that. Uh, is that something that you strategically did? I know you've been there for a bit, but do you feel like it's of utmost importance? And I kind of have my opinions on it, but to be world-class, in my opinion, of, of treating and evaluating athletes is like, you need to have a great network of other providers. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on that? And what did you do to build that? Yeah, I early on went and observed some surgeries and I followed some other docs, orthopedists, neurosurgeons, uh, PM and R guy in their office to see what they're doing. I did the same thing with some other chiropractors, but uh, I started developing that network early on because I wanted to know who to send these uh, people to. I saw a guy earlier today who had a knee replacement um, a couple of months ago, and he went to the guy. He was about to go to a guy in Cincinnati who I would not send my patients to ever. And I just I didn't badmouth the, the doctor. Mm -hmm. I just said, yeah, you don't want to go there. You want to go over here to this other guy. And he ended up going to the guy I recommended and he had a good result. And, you know, those knee replacements are a big deal any way you slice it. But he uh, had a good result. And I just know the other guy he was thinking about going to, it just, you know, too often uh, it doesn't go well. So I just didn't want him to see this other guy. So one of the things we do in our practice is do MD letters to the, um, the referring physician or a primary care physician, their family doc. And um, <clears throat> Cairo Up has an unbelievable system on there on their MD letters. I just, it's so good. It's ridiculous, but, and I don't work for Cairo up. I'm just making the point that they do a great job, but we had done it long before we discovered Cairo up. We did our own Cairo up just does it better and makes it easier for you. Um, but we were always doing MD letters, basically. Um, hey, I saw Mr. Jones. This is what I found. And this is what I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. And, um, <clears throat> that develops your network and they start figuring out that what you're doing makes sense and that what you have a logical approach to your clinical uh, patient care. So that starts to expand. And you, and you ask people, um, oh, I saw such and such a whatever podiatrist. Oh, what'd you think of uh, Dr. Smith? Well, he was, he said this, this, and this. So you start learning your way around it. But yes, I think it's a, a great way 
to um, expand your base because these patients will come to you uh, looking for help and they will um, and they will trust your referral. Yeah. And I, I, one of the things that I did over the years too, is and you mentioned say podiatrists, that was always a tricky one because you get ones that just clip toenails on 80 year olds. And then you get other ones that are uh, trauma, foot, ankle trauma specialists yes. who are great Very with skilled. biomechanics and like gait yes. analysis. And so I started to whittle down, you know, okay, am I dealing with referring out someone with a sports injury? I've got a podiatrist that's like, I call him a foot ankle specialist. Uh, and, yes. and you know, I would trust him with any sports injury. And, you know, sometimes they don't keep up with the the rehab protocols. You know, like they'll still want to brace someone for eight weeks instead of maybe a little more aggressive rehab on an ankle, uh, you know, grade two ankle sprain on an athlete. Right. And so I want to know those things about physical therapists that I might refer to or podiatrists or acupuncturists or orthopedists. And I think it gets really important. Um when you're building out that network to make sure. And I, and to your point, you didn't want to bad mouth the doctor, um, which is great. And I don't think anybody needs to do that. You can always just say, you know, Oh, like, you know, based on your goals and your scenario, I think this doctor would be a right. little bit better of a, a better of a fit. Right. So you're not like bashing anybody and you're making it kind of tailored to that person, that patient. And they say, oh, that makes sense, you know, and so you'll kind of steer them away from that other person. Yeah, and they, and they want to know, you know, they typically don't know that this other guy they they were going to go to is a, is a, is a lousy surgeon. They don't really know that. I mean, uh, you know, kind of how would they know that? So, yeah, you can you can be uh, diplomatic about it without being uh, without bashing the people. There's no upside to bashing the guy. As long as you can steer him where you need to go, then just, you know, do that and move on. But you yep. need to know who the best people are in your town. It's a huge help. And being a team player in that, I mean, it's just, yes. it, it's, you almost got to recreate in your community. What I say a pro team would recreate in the, in the training room, right? Right. Um, and, and their whole organization, they're going to have everything. And so uh, you want to do that in your community, build a team and feel really good about that. Cause sometimes being the best doctor for that patient is knowing when to get them out of your office and where to get them to appropriately and if you fail on that too much, that's a, an indictment on you if you're not working on that. And I tell you, those patients, you refer them to the right person. They remember that and they refer other people back to you. They, it is actually a practice builder to refer the appropriate person, a patient out to the, the, the correct doctor. That actually builds your practice. You say, well, you're not treating them. I know, but I wasn't going to get the right result anyway. And, all, and they appreciate that I was honest to say, I'm not the right guy, but here's the right guy. Uh, and here's his phone number and, you know, uh, go from there. Yeah. I've seen too many chiropractors and I, and I've did this in the past early on where I might've, um, started treating something that I really wasn't comfortable with and, and didn't think I was going to get the results, but I was like, yeah, you know, we'll give it a shot anyway. And, and I wasn't completely transparent with them on that. And, and it, I think if you're transparent with them and you say, you know what, like, I think we need to co-manage this uh, or something like that. They'll, they'll appreciate that. Um, but yeah, yeah I, you, can, I you can simply explain to them that, Hey, I think you may need to be <clears throat> need another procedure, a surgery or whatever. Uh, we can help you get prepared for that uh, with what we can do with our manual care and our rehab. And, um, <clears throat> and if you respond quickly, then um, maybe we can delay that surgery or, or, or avoid that surgery. But um, 
you can get the ball rolling. Like in where I'm in Cincinnati, a lot of the people that are the surgeons that I would want to use, sometimes it takes a while to get into them or it takes a while. You got to get the MRI or whatever you're doing beforehand. So I'll kind of get all that stuff rolling and I can be treating them if I think that there's a, a legitimate chance that I can help them. Uh, but I'm not sure I can at least start treating them and, and see how they respond and then you get the MRI or get the referral over to doctor whoever and get the evaluation going. So at least the ball is rolling in the right direction. Yeah. And two things I want to spotlight on that in, in under this multimodal approach is one, if you're concerned about something, but there's going to be a, a delay in them seeing the person you're referring to, if you have that multimodal approach, you can cherry pick some of the things you do that you know won't have a contraindication to their condition right. or their injury. So it it gives them something and some alleviation. You're being transparent with them that that's not the total picture, but we have two weeks before you can get in to see that doctor. So that multi, multimodal approach can be very important in those scenarios. And then I think you got to look at this multimodal approach is sometimes it's the things you do and sometimes it's the things that are outside your practice that other providers do. And that is a multimodal approach. And sometimes you have to co-manage that. Um, right. So I, That's a great way to say it. So, so, you know, you, um, one of the things I really emphasize is that <clears throat> you can't be great at all these different things. Like, you know, you're a great palpator and adjuster, but maybe you're not great at nutrition or, you know, what, Maybe you haven't taken a good uh, soft tissue class or whatever, but you, you know you can work with other people that might be uh, better at that than you, and th and that's fine. I don't think you're going to be fantastic at every single uh, tool in the toolbox, uh, so you pick the ones you can be great at, and you know kind of add to that as you go along through your years. But have the help. Like some guys only want to palpate and adjust. Totally fine. Have somebody that can do rehab. Have somebody who can do soft tissue because your patients, palpate and adjust is not the answer beginning and end for every patient, obviously. Yeah, definitely. And so let's say that athlete comes into your practice. Um, what are some of the things that are on the table for them, pun, pun not intended there, um, right. that they may get? Uh, obviously, palpate and adjust we've talked about. I know they get soft tissue. What are some of the other things that you may um, – prescribe for them inside your practice? Most all of my rehab is DNS-based, uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, the PROG school. So that that's just my system that I use. I think they're great. I, they, I learned a lot from them. I've taken piles of classes and read their books and articles. And I just think they do a great job and it's a great system for low-tech rehab in the office. So we do that. I'm lucky because I have a couple of uh, DPTs in the same building that, that are part of our practice that who do also know some DNS and they'll incorporate that into part of their rehab program. So I don't want to take the time necessarily to do all the DNS rehab. I might teach them uh, a, an exercise or two on a given visit, but if they need an hour twice a week for, you know, four weeks and then once a week for four weeks or something like that, then I have uh, DPTs who will do that and they're they're a rehab focused as opposed to me. I'm a little more manual care focused is a good way to say it. Yeah. Um, I mentioned the soft tissue. I do a fair amount of nutrition in my practice, uh, and I call it nutrition light. It's kind of best way I can say is it's, it's based on the whole deflame model that David Seaman teaches. Um, that's kind of the, the what I do from a, a nutrition standpoint, a lot of joint health and overall decrease in inflammation. So I do some of that. And we have some of the passive modalities. Um, uh, a lot of our docs, not me, but 
a lot of our docs in our practice do dry needling. Um, we have cold laser. We have uh, radio pulse right wave, radio pressure wave, shock wave, whatever you want to call it. Some of our docs tape. Some of our docs do a little more MDT, you know, mechanical diagnosis and treatment. Again, I, you can't do all of the things, yeah. but uh, those are some of the uh, different tools that we have that we have available. And uh, it, it it allows you to see a wider range of athletes and a wider, wider range of conditions. Um, but you make a point that it's still multimodal, even if you are not personally doing it, yep. as long exactly. as you can help direct it. Yeah. And that's like, you talk about being a traffic cop. Sometimes you're the traffic cop getting them out of your office, but also inside. And, you know, just because a, a practice or a provider does all those things, it doesn't mean every athlete or every patient's getting all those things. It's just that, you know, it's like, for instance, like golfer's elbow, right? It's one of those ones where it's a pain in the ass to treat in our practice. We found like by adding laser to what we were already doing with some ART and things, it really helped, you know, and, and it, it made that particular condition for us a little easier to treat. And I don't do laser on all our patients, but coming with golfer's elbow or tennis elbow, they're getting laser among right. some of the other stuff. So you can start to get really good at, you know, being kind of a really laser focused, like, okay, this is coming in this is what they're going to get. And that may look different than the other athlete that walks in 20 minutes later. Yeah. It's nice that you have those extra tools uh, to apply to your particular patient. And um, it's weird how you just don't know exactly how each one's going to respond that like you mentioned the golfer's elbow, the middle epicondylopathy is it can be, you know, I treated a gal with that earlier today. You know, I just started her uh, treated her just a couple of times and, uh, you know, she's had a bunch of cortisone injections over the years. So, you know, that's going to make it even a little yeah. trickier because, you know, that is not good for the, those tissues in that uh, medial, medial elbow. So, um, yeah, we're we're going to be doing some cold laser on her and uh, uh, probably some radio pulse wave uh, in addition to my other stuff. So yeah. everyone has their favorite ways to approach it. But some of those stubborn ones can be you, you need to have more than just one or two tools. Yeah. And it becomes kind of an kind of like an art putting it all together and figuring out. I like that. It's fun. Yeah, it is. It is fun. So, all right, we're going to do a little bit of a not so rapid fire, but we're going to pick a few kind of regions, foot, ankle, knee, and and shoulder. And just some of the, the insights, thoughts, like, you know, obviously we could do a whole show on the foot and ankle, a whole show on the, on the knee, but the patient comes in with a foot and ankle um, injury, we call it like a sprained ankle. What are the, some of the things that you're, you're evaluating, assessing, and 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 doing in that scenario. Well, the big thing on on the well, not the big thing. One of the things I I stress with the let's say it's a, a classic inversion ankle sprain. Let's just say it's a grade two or whatever. <laughs> you got to go into the whole manipulation, the mobilization thing slowly because if you freak them out, then because they are that those sprained ankle they hurt. And you start getting in there and getting aggressive with your uh, palpating and adjusting from day one, you might say, well, they need it. Well, that might be. But if they won't come back to you because they're afraid of you, then then that's not particularly helpful. So <clears throat> we as chiropractors have a tendency to want to get people back to action, uh, walking or whatever, some kind of movement. Like you mentioned earlier about, no, we're not going to put them in a boot for eight weeks. It's just not how we're going to approach it. We don't want that all that scarring and degeneration to, to set in. So we're going to, we're going to uh, be more, you know, more uh, movement uh, focused. So yeah, the, the, you know, now the whole thing with ice at the beginning is controversial and it, 
depends on who you read and the research, you know, is clear as mud on that is, is, you know, whether you do ice or not do ice at the beginning. And, um, you know, on the one hand, they don't, they don't want you to do ice sometimes on these injuries because they want the natural inflammatory process to occur. On the other hand, the, you know, uh, cold plunges and cold showers are all the rage. So yeah. it, you can get a little confused on it. Yeah. But as soon as I can, uh, I want to try and get start getting mobility in that foot gently and then more aggressively as I can get them walking a weight bearing as soon as we can. We, we use cold laser on those people a lot to get going and we'll even do some uh, muscle stim and ice just to start to pump that area. Anything that's stimulated to kind of get the whole thing rolling. Now, a lot of our docs will start dry needling that area very quickly. I like that. I I'm always giving people a little nudge in the anti-inflammatory diet direction because, again, as we know, everything heals better when you're not in a pro-inflammatory state, in a kind of a pre-diabetic state. So that's always that's always going to be helpful. And then, um, and then I just you know put them on a care plan. I start treating it. I'm not going to say, "Hey, see how it goes." I'm going to get them in, and I'm going to get them on a you know two or three times a week schedule and really start to get uh, movement in there, and then. Um, try and, you know, return them back to work or sports or whatever it is that they, is their uh, particular. Uh, yeah. Case. And we're going to tackle that. That's a whole other topic of like return to play guidelines. Uh, Brett and I are going to tackle that particular topic. Cause that's, that's a big that's one. Tough. You know, it's, it's a, it's a challenging one and there's a lot of nuance to it. So that'll be good for us to tackle. Um, moving up to the knee. I'm going to frame this one a little bit, going back to that multimodal approach and, and how, um, when you have, you know, different tools in your tool bag, you could have something like a knee issue and you find a foot and ankle or a hip problem, obviously, and you might use one particular modality on the hip and a, and a different one on the knee. So it gives you the ability to maybe do some things for this body part and other things for this, right? Like you, you may do laser on the knee and ART on the knee, but then you're doing you found you need to do rehab with the hip and you need to do, uh, you know, some uh, manipulation of the foot and ankle, right? Like you might end up using different modalities for different regions for, for a knee injury, right? Yeah. The knee is such a transitional area and, and you hit the nail on the head on a lot of these, it, the, the knee problem, it can be coming from the foot and ankle or it can be coming down from the hip. Uh, kind of classically the foot and ankle might be, too stiff and needs to be adjusted and the hip may be functionally too weak and needs to have some rehab. So the moral of the story on the knee is you have to, you know, at least from the lumbar spine down, you've got to check all that stuff because even knee pain, uh, people will say, since I've been getting my, you know, whatever SI joint adjusted, my knee pain is improved. I never, you know, I've had people say that to me over the years that I didn't even, they didn't even tell me they had a knee problem, but they said, you know, what's weird, doc, is my knee feels better since you've been adjusting my low back. And uh, I know, you know, of course, everything's connected, right? So that could be, that could certainly be the case. But my point is, is that you, uh, and I know you may be thinking, well, Mark, you did a lousy job of taking a history, but you do miss <laughs> things. I mean, the truth is you miss things. But with your athlete with a knee problem is you've definitely got to look upstream and downstream if you're going to be comprehensive in your approach uh, on the knee. It's not just... Uh, right where the knee uh, pain is. Yeah. And it, it gets, it gets tricky for sure. Right. Like there's a lot of, a lot of aspects of that. Um, and you shot a really good um, video for the 
MPI clinical excellence channel on chondromalacia patella. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's all, you know, there's a lot to it when it comes to the knee above and below. And, and, and I, and, and you hit it on the head and that's what I wanted to really kind of frame. It was like, you got to get away from just the knee for a lot of these knee issues. And that goes for a lot of body parts, obviously, but uh, <coughs> one thing I, I would, I would make quick note of, uh, as you get better and better at your exams, you can ex- evaluate a knee pretty quickly. Uh, if you're new to it, uh, you know, you're a student, let's say, listening to this, you know, you just need to practice it. And then from a joint palpation standpoint, I always say if they have a knee problem, you know, check the knee from a joint palpation standpoint, like we teach an MPI or whatever your approach is, because <clears throat> it doesn't take long and no one's better off with joint dysfunction than without. So it's quick and easy to to take care of that. And uh, but understand you need to look at the big picture on those knees. Yeah, for sure. And rule out anything potentially crazy and get those right. out of your office if you need to. So, right. all right, cool. Right. Um, and then shoulder, lastly, shoulder, what are some of the things that you're looking at when someone comes in with that? And let's just say for the sake of argument, it's more of an overuse shoulder versus traumatic, you know, the, that has its whole set of circumstances, but just, we see so many overuse shoulder injuries that are not traumatic or, you know, surgical. Uh, what are you really looking at on that particular patient? Well, this is a, the shoulder is a perfect example when you have to be multimodal. And, and, you know, I see way more overuse, like you're alluding to, I see way more overuse than, than trauma of the shoulder. I mean, I'm, if you're on a, if you're a, on a football team or a rugby team, okay, that you're going to see some traumatic shoulder injuries, but if you're in a routine family practice, you're going to see the overuse and you'll see things on an MRI, like AC joint is arthritic. The AC joint is inflamed. It has uh, periosteal reactions. These are all because that AC joints getting beat up, overstimulated, over overused. And why is that happening? Do they have joint dysfunction? A lot of time, obviously, a lot of times it's obviously poor scapular stabilization. You have your functional screens for that. The scapular rock test, for example, is one easy one. So shoulder's an easy example of if the only thing you do for the shoulder is adjust the glenohumeral joint, which tends to be a hypermobile joint, you're mm-hmm. going to be pretty limited on your shoulder success. Now, Please don't overlook the CT junction upper thoracic area when you have a shoulder because they are very connected. I always tell patients, if you have a shoulder problem, you're eventually going to alter the way you use it and you're eventually going to have a neck and upper back or or upper back problem. (laughs) Excuse me. And so, you know, get a good soft tissue technique, but boy, you better know how to do scapulothoracic rehab uh, if you're going to treat shoulders. And I, I can't I tell you, I very rarely do the old school rotator cuff rehab that we learned originally, because if you're doing the other stuff, adjusting, doing your soft tissue, and you do you stabilize the scapula, now the rotator cuff has something to anchor to, it's going to start to function a, a lot better, a lot more closer to normal. So a lot of those people, and this is another example where I, I'm very thankful for my situation, if I know they need to really get through and do an hour, uh, uh, two or three times a week of rehab, then I can send them to our physical therapist and they'll do the rehab and I'll do my adjustments and, and uh, uh, soft tissue. And that ends up being a great combination. But the shoulder is a perfect example where you really need to be comprehensive in your approach. And you can't just do one thing and take care of all these shoulders. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm going to kind of wrap it up with asking some of your wisdom on this, something that we're seeing a little bit, uh, you know, a lot of the younger docs are coming out and, and they've got a lot of certification, like they're just pounding, you're like, 
one thing after the other and they're getting all these different types of trainings and certifications. And sometimes I'm seeing that they're kind of halfway learning one and they move on to the next thing and halfway learn that. And then the next thing, halfway learn that. And they never really get really good at the first thing, right? Like let's just say manipulation, you know, palpation manipulation, like get really good at that and then get really good at soft tissue. And, you know, you can do this concurrently. So it's not like you have to, you know, wait 15 years to get uh, ART certified while you're waiting to get good at manipulation for 15 years. But I just see a lot of people, uh, kind of getting uh, halfway good at at each modality and never really um, becoming an expert in it. And so what are some of your advice for those practitioners of, of how to really be multimodal, but but be really damn good at each one, not just kind of half-assing each one? Yeah, I think you're better off being great at one thing instead of half-assed at two, right? So I saw uh, uh, Mike Leahy from ART get interviewed and they said, what would be your advice to a new graduate? I thought he just gave a great answer. And he said, uh, become great at something. So obviously his bias is ART, our palp MPIs is palpate and adjust. And, you know, you go FMS and you go down to MDT, you know, everybody, everybody has their bias. That's fine. And, but, he made the great point that he would, you know, he wants you to become great at something. And then you at least can really d uh, do a deep dive on it. So you use the example, like um, a lot of people couple these different treatment modalities together. Let's say they do palpate and adjust with ART, or they do palpate and adjust with DNS, whatever, DNS or whatever. So um, let's say it's a shoulder. We just mentioned shoulder. Like they might, maybe they go to uh, Mark King who does a combination of some soft tissue and DNS and, and palpate and adjust. And, but then they also could, the exact same patient could have gone to an MDT guy who uh, does his evaluation is a little different than my evaluation, but also can have a big positive impact on that patient. You say, well, he did that differently than I did, but what he was trying to do was restore more normal function mm -hmm. to a dysfunctional area and then hope that that area heals. In the end, we're trying to accomplish the same thing, a little different tools to get there. But um, I would say uh, to your to your kind of your point, your question is to be just mediocre at all these things. I just, that just drives me crazy. I would much rather you be great at one thing and then and then add on to it from there. And uh, I think that's the approach I would prefer as a patient. That's the approach that I would I would rather be treated by someone who's great at one or two things and maybe eventually a third thing and heck maybe even eventually a fourth thing. But uh, I much prefer somebody who's great at something. Yeah, and that was good about being old like we are is when we were in school and coming out, you really just had a a couple things that were really out there to do. Now there's a lot of really cool stuff out there and these younger docs and, and students are getting exposed to six or seven really cool things that, that are awesome. Uh, but maybe they get a little overwhelmed and don't really become uh, expert at, at one thing. I'm quite a bit older than you. And it was really simple when I came out, it was really very much about palpate and adjust and chiropractic, yeah. you know, was MDT was something that the physical therapist did and soft tissue was, why would you do that? If you do a decent yeah. adjustment and, DNS rehab didn't even exist. I mean, there was no DNS rehab. They were just starting to do all that stuff. 
in the Czech Republic. And the, you know, the, the nutrition approach, David Seaman wasn't lecturing at that point on nutrition and some of these other guys that are uh, experts on nutrition. So nutrition back then was, you know, just be a vegetarian and then you're done. And <laughs> so the list goes on, eat more, eat more wheat and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, whole wheat though. And then that, we thought that was the way to go, but my, you know, the, the, it is very difficult coming out now. I think your generation, it was a little more of palpate adjust. And then ART was really growing at that point. You yeah. became an expert at that and which was great, but each year there's an, there's more stuff. And, and, and at some point, you know, you start, okay, am I going to do dry needling? Am I going to get a cold laser? Am I going to get, uh, you know, radio pressure wave. And am I going to, the list just keeps going. So uh, at some point uh, I've, I've had to rein myself in because I can't stand it. If there's something that I don't know, and I haven't learned and it, it might help me with that one patient that yeah. it, it drives me a little crazy. And I, it, it can eventually become counterproductive if you go too yeah. far. Yeah. So I just wanted to kind of ask your opinion on that. Cause it's, it's out there and I, and it can be tricky, uh, no doubt about it. And we're not saying don't keep learning, but uh, try to, concurrently at least stay expert or get expert at at least one thing and then move to the second thing. So, right. Absolutely. Well, Mark, I really appreciate your time today. This was great. Really appreciate your insights and everything. And so uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you a couple of times this year and I'll be out at the uh, MPI sports symposium this year. So if you want to chat about that a little bit. Um, so March 25th and 26th in Kansas city, right on the Cleveland uh, college campus, we're going to have our uh, annual sports summit. I say annual. Well, we were doing it in Chicago and then this weird thing called COVID hit. And we actually had to postpone three years in a row, our sports summit. So we're, we're very frustrated with that and finally said, okay, this finally in 2023, we're going to get back on track. So luckily we're going to be able to do it in Kansas city and we're going to do it right on campus. And we're very excited. We have, we do sections and one section will be uh palpate and adjust. One section will be rehab. One section will be, uh, movement screens and one section will be soft tissue and, and the other section will be uh, nutrition. So David Seaman will come out for that. So we, You get to hit this from multiple directions. This year, the topic is lumbar spine, but we just rotate it. We do foot and ankle, we do shoulder and so on, and we just keep rotating it through. And you get to see some really uh, good brains and it's a good mix of a lot of docs from all around the country who are there. And it's uh it's a it's a great class, fun to learn for all these different things. And I guess the way I would say it is, the tools are things that you'll be able to take back and use on Monday in your in your clinic. Yeah, I love the. I was there the last live one that you know pre pandemic. So I guess twenty nineteen um, yeah. was there, and uh, yeah, because I guess the one in twenty twenty was like exactly when COVID was uh, hitting us all right at the beginning there. Cause it's always in that March timeframe, but uh, yeah. yeah it, we, it, we postponed 2021 20, and 22, all yeah. three got postponed. We were trying, we were doing them in Chicago and Chicago was a little more locked down than some other places. So that made it uh, even a little trickier. So it, we just couldn't figure out how to make it work. And uh, so we just postponed. Perfect. Well, I'm, I'm excited to go back again this year and speak a little bit on Friday, but I'll be there the whole weekend and attending the classes like I did last time and, and looking forward to it. Great to talk with you, Kevin. Definitely. Have a good one. See you, buddy. That is it for this week's episode. But before you leave, check us out at www.modernchiropracticmarketing.com for all kinds of free resources such as blogs and the podcast episodes. We've got online courses. You can check out the Chiropractic Success Academy there, which is an amazing online coaching system for you at a very affordable monthly rate. 
there's a free online course on the modernchiropracticmarketing.com website, so check that out. If you're interested in some one-on-one coaching, we can do that as well. We have all kinds of resources for you there, and we would also truly appreciate if you could rate and review this podcast if you're getting valuable information out of it. I can't thank you enough, and we'll see you next week.